Hairdressing, business, beauty, products, people, interviews, fitness, health, well-being. I'm Nathan Plumridge and welcome to Hair Life. Hi, in today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Edward Hemmings, owner and salon director of the Alan D Education Group. With over 30 years of hair and education experience, Edwin and his team provide outstanding hair and barbering education from their two sites in London and Ipswich. We will be talking about education in the hair industry and a number of other key subjects. So sit back and enjoy the show. Good morning. Today, I have Edward Hemmings on the show. I am very excited to be talking to this gentleman today. Um, Edward, how are you this morning? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. I'm kind of honoured sitting here in by the toilets in my school because it's the only place that's available um, that's reasonably quiet. So, yeah, I'm really excited about doing this, um, Nathan. It's been great to have a chat and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really honoured you've asked me. Thank you. Well, I'm looking forward to it. If you guys, um, maybe you might see, we might take a few pictures of where Edward is actually sat, but he's, uh, he's in his academy by a toilet with some very vintage hair dryers behind him and uh, lots of young students flying around him. So it's going to be quite atmospheric. If we hear any noise, uh, it's just because he's in a very busy, busy education centre. So um, what I always like to do at the beginning of the show is just ask you to introduce yourself, Edward, to the listeners. Okay, my name is Edward Hemmings. I'm from a company called Alan D Hairdressing Education. I started my career actually next year, 30 years ago, February 1992. Um, I trained with our school at the time was in Dean Street. I then uh, worked in a salon that we had on Regent Street and sort of worked my way through stylist, um, manager, eventually... I got into education completely and wholly moved away from salon life into education in 2000. So about 20, nearly 22 years ago, but all the time kept my hand in hairdressing. Um, I've, I've still do a few clients now. Every, I know everyone says, oh, I've still a few clients. Um, I, I, unfortunately, one of my stylists has just retired after 50 years. Wow. And she has the most wonderful clientele. And because I've known them since I was a kid, I used to shampoo their hair. They've become my clients now. And, and I tell you, something we can teach the young kids is get your clients in their 60s and 70s because they're in every four weeks. They need their colour done. They need a yeah. perm done. They need pro- they are brilliant clients. The grey so pound, still, we love them. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> so I still do hairdressing as well amongst all the other things that I do. And I think that probably sets us apart. And what was that like? Because obviously, so just going back, a little bit of what you just said there. So you started in the business. Was that with your father at Allen D? Well, yes, it was. I started after my A-levels at Lloyd's Bank. Wow. Truthfully. And I spent 15 turgid months at Lloyd's, uh, not setting the world, banking world alight. Um, I have an abiding memory, Nathan. Um, <laughs> I have an abiding memory of after two weeks being brought into the manager's office. And he said, um, sit down, Mr. Hemmings. He said, um, I've got a bit of a problem with you. I said, sir, what, you know, what have I done? He said, you're wearing a jacket and trouser. He said, not, not trousers, a jacket and trouser. He said, it's not a suit. I said, but sir, it's brand new. My dad bought it for me. Um, and when I come in, I take my jacket off. Um, 
He said, that's not the point. He said, we expect you to be in a suit every day. Now, here was the bank manager in this worn out grubby suit, soup stains down his tie, holes in his shoes, telling me that my, uh, that my brand new next double-breasted blazer with brass buttons and trousers weren't smarter. I knew at that point this, this wasn't the career I for love me. That. Love that. Um, and after about 15 months, I was called on a, I handed in my notice, I was called on a two-hour train journey to head office to be sat down for 30 seconds by the regional manager who said, well, what are you doing then? I said, I'm going to work in my family business. He said, well, you've wasted your journey down here. There's no point talking any further, is there? So off I went on a two-hour journey back again. <laughs> and, and, and that was the end of your banking career. That was the end of my banking <laughs> career. Um, Dad said to me, you know, what are you going to do? He said, you're, you're pretty quick with numbers. Um, do me a favour, come and help me out in, in our salon in Regent Street. It's just before Christmas. You, we were doing probably, I mean, I, I don't really remember 50, 100 clients a day at, at that point. Big and numbers. one of the receptionists was, was ill. Wow. I, I don't know how it was for you, but that noise, that atmosphere from 8.30 in the morning was just staggering. There was music, there was girls, there was guys, there was noise, there was smoking, there was, I didn't have to take my earrings out. I could do... <laughs> I just fell in love. I just fell in love um, and never looked back. Isn't it lovely? I think that's one of the beautiful things about the industry as a whole, though, is how it can kind of transform you. You know, I, I had a really strange experience before I got into hairdressing that I went for a job interview because uh, I looked at being a vet and I looked at dentistry as well. And I spent I spent two days um, in a work experience position in, with a bunch of old boys that made um, dental braces. And all yep. these guys were smoking fags and God knows what else in this room. And I thought, seriously, is this, is this what my life looks like? And then I ended up stumbling upon a salon and that was it. And then from that moment, everything kind of changed. And it's incredible now. So when you look back, so how many years is that? It's nearly 30 years, you said. Yeah, yeah, I was six. Wow. <laughs> and isn't it, is it one of those? I mean, having a salon, so your dad's salon was in Regent Street. Was that we just had, the first one or? No, no, no. He, he um, if you go back a couple of years earlier, my, my dad was part of the Robert Fielding group. So right. he was one of the directors. Robert Fielding started in 1947, I think it was. Wow. He, my dad was apprenticed in 1960 and again, worked his way up. By the time the mid to late 80s came, they had 27 salons. The, the, that, that recession of the late 80s, suddenly money dried up. Suddenly, certainly in central London, you had the IRA was bombing us out every five minutes. Tourism dropped off the thing. The rents were going ridiculous. Interest rates were, I mean, the kids now complain. No the interest rates were 17, 18, 20%. I remember I mean, my parents same thing. Beyond nuts. So sadly, it came to an end and my dad brought out the Robert Fielding group, dumped most of the salons. I think at the time we had probably 10 or 12 salons and the school, but didn't realise the value of the school at, at, at this point. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we were part of about 10 salons. That's an amazing number of businesses, isn't it? I mean, even by like today's standards, that is huge, massive. I think 
I think really you've got to do, if you're going to be a multi-salon group, you need to be a headmaster's rush, Tony and Guy, where really it's all about systems in place. And, and perhaps nowadays um, software allows you to be a bit better, but it's still tough. We, we were, I mean, I, my earliest memories was, was trying to rush staff from one shop to another. So what you're doing, you're ending up having no staff in any shops mm -hmm. rather than saying, actually, I'm going to focus on the one that's good and keep the staff there. I'm not going to send them away just in case someone might walk in in three hours. And I think that was the that was always the the, the problem. So and it, was that the point as well? So obviously within the salons. So did you then shrink the salons down to less, yeah. just more quality? Yeah, yeah. It, it, we, we dropped the salons down. The rents, the, the rentals as well in, in central London at that point had gone through the roof as well. So um, our Regent Street salon, I can't begin to tell you what the rent review looked like. It was hundreds of thousands a year and you know that's before rates it just in the end hairdressing couldn't survive yeah um whilst we were good quality we were not at the the the, the sort of high lux end where 20 years ago you could get away with 150 to 200 pound haircuts and really you needed that sort of average bill to even make it work so um and at this point we, we started looking at the school and I think Alan suddenly realised the value of, of, of education, what was going on in the schools. And we, we sort of then focused the, the business on the schools. And we closed our last salon down uh, in 2016, I think, just after my little one was born. Really? So what was that like? I mean, that's quite a, it's a big transition, isn't it? To going yeah. from salon owners to suddenly full-time education. Well... <laughs> I'm going to sum it up with the bloke. As I was locking the door in our last shop, I've emptied it out. A guy comes in and he said, hello. He said, um, it's, um, it's, it's really nice to see you. Um, he said, I'm very sad that you're, you're closing down after all these years. He said, I'm a local resident. I said, oh, really I said, have you been a client for a long time then? He said, no, no, I've never been here before. <laughs> <laughs> that sums it up, doesn't it? You know, he's sad to see you go, but he's never actually been in the shop except to say goodbye when you close. Um, I love that. Oh my God, that's ridiculous. Education is is very different. Mm. Um, education, you've got 30 seconds in a salon to make an impression. You've got a beautiful salon and you've got 30 seconds to make that impression with a client. Mm -hmm. I, I've got a whole day, a week, a month, six months, a year. Yeah. With young people, if they have a difficult Monday, we make a Tuesday better. If they, if they, struggle a bit on Wednesday we're going to make Thursday better quite frankly if you give them a great Friday they've forgotten what's gone on the rest of the week anyway mm -hmm. and so the the, the 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 timing that you have to make an impression and so on is is very different in education so how do you how do you in terms of the Alan D education sort of group so how do you run your courses are these one day two day weekly how do, we how do they work we, we have a whole series. So we have an apprenticeship program that we've run very successfully for many, many years. Um, and that's done um, one of two ways. We have a unique weekly block program where we see an apprentice every fifth week for one whole week, Monday to Friday, then back in the salon for four or the more traditional um, day release program. When it comes to private education, we have um, a whole curriculum. We have courses from one day what we call um, our hashtag on the floor course. So you're, you're building what you want to get out in one day, mm -hmm. right the way through to sort of six, seven months masterclass, ladies and men's MVQ level two diploma courses right. and, and, and everything in the middle. So it's interesting. I mean, looking back like now, you've been doing this for a long time. 
what are like the biggest changes that you've significantly seen from even the last five to 10 years to present day? There's a very, very pointed one right now, which is I want it now, 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 because for the last 18 months, you could go online and there's your online hair course. So we've noticed we've got to manage our students' expectations differently. Face-to-face isn't now, 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 because we need to correct your mistakes. We need to make sure you're doing it correctly, where actually when you've got it now, now, now online, You've got no one telling you it's wrong and you can move to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. So at the moment, we're trying to slow people down. We're trying to say, hey, you know, this is real education. Trouble is the whole world's become an educator in lockdown. (laughs) I mean, it's a big thing amongst the serious educators. We're we're all talking about it. Everyone's an educator. Mm -hmm. I saw someone just after lockdown ended, a very well-known online educator, who totally lost a live audience. Wow. Because what you do in front of a live audience, in front of real people, is very different from studio set up with lights everywhere, yep. pressing pause on your camera, getting the right angle, pressing play again. Massively. Live means you've got to interact, you've got to turn, you've got to empathise, you've got to sympathise. So I think that's the biggest change and a dramatic change now. Over the last few years, I think speed generally... Mm-hmm. Um, people want things quicker you know if I want something I go on Amazon it's there the, the following day in some instances you get it the same day it's nuts you, you order something at nine o'clock it's come from Germany and it's on your doorstep yeah. by, by 10 o'clock at night so I, I think that's been the, the, the biggest change I think that young people want things quicker I think they want to move into things quicker they want to go to the next stage quicker I think in certain instances, the industry have pandered to them, which I don't always think is a great thing either. Um, I definitely see that the sort of everyone's become an educator thing has become bigger and bigger. You know, I've got an empty shop on a Monday, so I'll put the word academy above the door and, and I'll teach you. But actually... Being a great hairdresser doesn't make a great educator. Not at all. Um, and quite frankly, I will never be the world's greatest hairdresser, mm-hmm. but I'm a very good educator. So, I think um, I think that's the biggest shift that we've seen, particularly within the salon, when I look at our, our apprentices, is you're so right when they want everything super quick. They expect to be a top earning stylist in a couple of years. And you're trying to get them to understand exactly. It's not like Amazon. You don't get it today. You've got to you've got to earn your stripes and you've got to work through the system. But at the same time, I kind of understand. I think there's that there's probably a little bit where hairdressing salons for a long, long time have kept hold of youngsters and have used them as what I would class as kind of cheap labor. And actually, that's probably always been my biggest issue is that now there's, it isn't cheap labor because actually apprentices are particularly expensive for a lot of salons um, and particularly for those smaller salons, um, they are a big expense. And do you, do you see that as an issue in terms of things potentially moving forwards with how the apprenticeship schemes are, the cost factor? Yeah, I think there's, there's two ways and I think there's two, there's two types of salon owner. Um, I think there's a salon owner like yourselves that has fully understood the needs and wants of young people and how important they are to the growth in your business. Mm -hmm. And there's your old fashioned salon who says, I don't need it because they're expensive. I just want someone to a shampoo person. I can give a 
five or 10 or 20 quid to make them happy. Um, so yeah, expense is a problem because it's growing. Um, if as they reach 18, if they're in the second year of an, of an a tra- a, a training program, their salary rises to national minimum wage. That's something mm-hmm. we're looking at at the moment. But I think if you can if you can get your program working correctly, they soon become you know they add value to your business. They add value to a stylist who wants a shampoo done properly. They want they add value to someone who perhaps can start a blow dry if you've delivered the training properly. We start our education in our schools cutting, and many yeah. of our salon owners start them in the salon coloring, and, and you kind of meet somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, our apprentices, 99% will be on the salon floor by the time they reach um, endpoint assessment level. We don't just deliver education to meet the EPA. We deliver the best education because I'm a small business. And if it's no bloody good, I'll get closed down. So I think that's a big point. I think, I think that is a really, really big point in actually finishing an apprenticeship and having them to a level where they can come onto the floor, yeah. even at that beginner's level, that graduate level, and still deliver a good service. One of the things that I've I've tried to chat to a lot of salon owners about, particularly like on online conversations, is I always wonder within education why we don't focus on getting them very good at some core skills quickly that they can add value, whether that's within that first six months, you know they can do a great quality blow dry. They can maybe do a great quality one length cut. They can apply a root color. You know, things that you know that you can advertise a service, you can do it at a slightly cheaper price, but if they're covering their kind of salary during the month, I just think that brings just so much value to them and to the business as well. The problem with... The problem with the education, uh, Nathan, uh, as you probably know, it's the delivery, mm-hmm. okay? I'll stand, um, I've, got a, I've got a client a little bit later, I'll stand in the middle of our school with my clients. Now, my clients uh, are spending a lot of money mm-hmm. relative to the seven-pound haircuts the models are having done, mm-hmm. but the students get the opportunity to see what's being delivered. All of my team are still hairdressers. A couple of the girls are, do half a week here and half a week in a salon. Right. So they are hairdressers delivering hairdressing education. Whilst I wouldn't, I can't speak a, a, overall, but how many educators delivering apprenticeship and hairdressing program haven't been near a salon for 20 plus years? Mm-hmm. And, and I'll just leave it there. Yeah, that's probably a good place. Um, have you noticed the age increasing as well? of apprentices that are coming into the industry yeah I, do you, you know something the, the government have helped slightly by allowing you to keep an apprentice wage for year one so the mm-hmm. government although our program really is about 15 months minimum it, mm-hmm. it, it's a help i've also got um salon owners certainly central london who happily will take on an older apprentice mm-hmm. yeah. they value the fact that they'll learn quicker without some of the issues a 16 17 year old kid's going to have and the fact that their prices are set higher and therefore a higher wage structure isn't necessarily an issue. But but definitely, look, I, 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 we, we would beg the government to change some of those rules around national minimum wage because people don't necessarily make the right career choice at 16. No. Very often they do make it at 22 or 23. Well, look at you. You were a banker, you know. I beg your pardon. <laughs> you were a... <laughs> Nathan? <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's not that sort of podcast <laughs> so yeah i was um, i was 19 um i was almost i was coming up into my 20th year 
So yeah. I left school after my A-levels. It's something uh, that we've, we've definitely noticed it and we've seen it kind of more. And we've had um, midwives uh, that have, you know, been in the industry for a long period of time and then decided to go into hairdressing nearly 30. Uh, with a young chap who was a forklift truck driver, yeah. um, completely, you know, completely off the scale, but really good people. Um, and actually, I think that's the thing. There's, it's less about the kind of age and more about the ability of that person. Can you Correct. see something in them? Correct. I think also, look, look what happened in lockdown. We, our, our stock went up hugely. People were prepared to break the law to get their hair done. And hairdressers were prepared to break the law and go and do it. Yeah. I mean, there was no other industry that, that, you know, pubs did this thing where they'd hand you, you'd hand a plastic glass through a window and they'd fill it up with beer and you could so, sort of take it home with you. Slightly grey area, mm-hmm. but we people actually broke guidance and rules. There, there is a question whether it was a law, but they broke guidance and rules, and that's how important we are to people. So Massively. actually, that's why I think people join. You know, look, look to our industry. Well, actually, it's worth joining. You, we mentioned Amazon. You, you might be able to access us online and find where we are, mm-hmm. but you've got to come to us physically. We, we, we are future proof. Yeah, massively. I spoke to Caroline Newman last week quite heavily about that, and it was very much driven by the the value. I was, like you said, our stock price went up because we were the biggest thing that was trending on Twitter for many, many weeks, you know, looking like a Neanderthal. Um, and it's interesting because in terms of the education now within the UK, do you, I mean, do you, you obviously wear figures and things like that? Is there, a, is there still like a growth in the hairdressing industry or is it sort of petered out a little bit at the minute? I, th- I think what you'll find is that there will be a shrinking of the number of salons. Mm-hmm. That That is for sure with, with this. Um, I understand there was, there was a lack of apprentices. Apparently we haven't noticed it. Now that may just be because we're based Southeast um, sort of London M25 out through Essex and Suffolk. Um, we absolutely haven't suffered. I know there are areas that mm-hmm. where the apprentices are down. Uh, truthfully, I would imagine if you look at the figures, you, you, you may find that the industry shrunk, but I think it's going to grow back again. I think it, it would have, um, they, they were talking about the sort of U-shape or V-shape curve, weren't they? And I think that's what's going to happen. Um, yes, it would have shrunk during lockdown in the black economy when people were doing what they shouldn't have done. But then as salons open, it'll start to come, come back up again. And, and following on from that, what do you think like more salon owners could do to attract uh, apprentices back into the salon again what things well, should they be talking about it's a it's a really interesting one we we our education business has differed to many others we don't recruit young people for salons mm-hmm. i'm not saying we can't or we won't sorry i can't i'm not saying we can't and we don't because occasionally people come to us but we don't set out that way mm-hmm. like with everything now spending a little bit of time and effort finding the perfect fit is how it should be how do i know by sucking up 50 kids out of school that i've got the perfect fit for your salon maybe only you know the perfect fit yeah which is why i often think there's a lot of dropout so what we we encourage our salon owners to spend a bit of time on their recruitment what's their perfect apprentice like and actually with the power of social media it's become easier Mm -hmm. there is another one that everyone forgets and my dear friend helen ward is the best at doing this Sure. I, I, the, the last time, and, and I, I'm so lucky we, we, we trained for them and I, I 
go to their junior competition every year. Obviously, it hasn't happened for two years. The last one we did was would have been January 2020, before this whole situation. If I'm not incorrect, it was something like 13 out of 14 apprentices came it from internally through clients, yeah, through <laughs> the stylists there, or relatives and friends of people in that salon. It was incredible. And her view was, she said, if you look at our salon, you see success everywhere. Mm -hmm. Successful stylists, successful beauty therapists, successful apprentices. The clients are well aware of the success and therefore push their offspring, nieces, nephews, sons, daughters into the industry. It was incredible. So I, I, I've said since then, it was like that sort of, you know, the light goes on us and i've said to all of our salon owners just look in your chair every day because mm -hmm. every day in your chair in your chairs is the future of the industry every day someone coming in is going to know someone who might want to be a hairdresser yeah. and if you're good at what you do if you're the the go-to in your high street if you're celebrating success if your team are successful if your team have a great career why wouldn't you want to push someone in and it's, it's a great way of doing it because already if, if people know you, you're finding your perfect fit. I think that's, I think that's also very reflective of um, new clients in the salon. Um, yes. I, I still think I'm always amazed that people go out and they're trying to get all this new business. And I, and I look at it and think you have it already built into your business. Just utilize those loyal clients that are already there. They all know somebody. Correct. Of course they do. And actually, yeah. don't forget those loyal clients. You know, the, the loyal client's one that suddenly disappears after years, not because something horrible's happened. It's because you've ignored them and another salon down the road happened to, happened to catch their eye over something. And, and I think, you know, in, in that respect, it's almost like building up another conversation with someone, another reason to keep your client there. Exactly. So you've got two sites, is that right? Yeah, correct. You've we've got, got London, uh, central London, city of London, mm -hmm. Farringdon, and we've got a, a site out in Ipswich in Suffolk. So have you ever thought about the L&D group kind of moving out further throughout the UK? Well, it's funny you say that. Out <laughs> of the UK, um, I mean, 20 years ago, we had an association in Saudi Arabia, which was a little odd because we couldn't go there. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was done on trust and really lovely people. Um, we traveled an awful lot through the Far East um, in the late 90s, early millennium. And we spent a lot of time in Italy as well. Wow. The, pr the problem was you, we would always look for partners. We, we would never, I would never take my money and invest in a country that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. So for us, it was always, we, we used to you know, bring groups back. And then funnily enough, through the mid part, Point, um, sort of 2006, seven, we, we started to look at more locally and grew the apprenticeship program and, and private UK students. Um, you know, there were plenty of other salon groups all over Sassoon, Tony and Guy were so well known. Um, but it brings us to the point now where we're starting to look at whether to expand in the UK and, and, and open up um, other locations, partner locations. Because I think if you've got, obviously, you, you know, you've got tons of experience, you've already got fantastic systems in place, you're obviously already linked to the whole education system. Um, I, I imagine it'd be something that for somebody that could be a great partnership to work with somebody like yourselves. Yeah, I think, um, I think lockdown helped because our digital um, our, our digital program suddenly grew, people found us, you know, we, we grew a, 
an Instagram account from zero to 4,000 followers in about three weeks. And the fun, I've kept those numbers. They're all very loyal and, and it, it allowed us to get our word out and, 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 and share what we did. Um, so I think, yeah, it is an ideal time. Um, but the idea of partner is so important because whilst I know London and the Southeast, I don't know other parts of the country. Yeah. And, and that's where partner comes in. Someone says, well, okay, we want to use your name because it, it's a really well-known brand in the industry. We want to use you, Edward, because you, as a front man for the industry, you kind of speak the truth, hopefully. Yeah. But what I couldn't possibly do, for example, is, is, is come down to you guys and go, well, this is, you know, this is how it has to be. And this because I don't know locally mm-hmm. what would be expected. I think that's the beautiful thing about partnering, though. You know, you've, you've got shared experience and, and that's and I think that's probably what's happened, like you said, more in the last kind of 18 months, two years yeah. is collaboration on, on so many different levels. I, I think it's it's allowed, you know, the, the positive side of what went on is that we were stuck at home and those who chose to engage, engaged. And it was quite beautiful doing it. Um, so. Early March, we knew something really strange was going on. Knowing Helen very well, a lot of their clients are media mm-hmm. um, journalists who travel and so on. And, and we spoke a lot. And, and that final week before lockdown, I spoke to Saturday night. I said, how are you doing? She said, we've just closed the shop. So we made the decision. I said, Helen, are you sure? She said, we have to. I have to protect the clients and the staff. I don't know what's going to happen. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to phone my old man now spoke to my dad and said, look, spoken to Helen. I think we've got to look at this very carefully. He said, then if that's what we're going to do, let's close. He said, but what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Monday morning, I brought the team in 10 o'clock in the morning, sat down and said, right, we're closing now. Get your stuff, go home. We're going to have an online training program. So my academy's principal said, I said, oh, brilliant. He said, well, how are we going to do it? I said, Kev, don't ask me. <laughs> go home. Go home tonight. I'm going to phone you tomorrow morning. And I said, by that time, I will have some kind of idea. Mm-hmm. We started this Instagram account. I phoned the following morning. I said, right, you're going to put a timetable, four hours every day. Our foundation cutting skills. Um, I said, we're not going to do it privately. It's going to be totally open to anyone in the industry. I'm really aiming at apprentices, young people who've got no hope of any education and will try and build a little family. And it kind of developed from there. Um, But there was no preconceived idea or plan. And from there, we made so many beautiful friends and and people we spoke to. Um, I started doing sort of bi-weekly, sorry, not bi-weekly, twice-weekly interviews with industry names on our Alan D. Hare account. Mm -hmm. And we just, it just felt, I think I would have gone mad if I didn't have a focus every morning to get up, get dressed. Um, so it kept me sane, number one. And it led to some really great friendships developing as well. You know, we spoke, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, totally. It was, it, it, was, it was just great to, to be able to talk. And, and, and I think it's left us in, in, in fine form moving forward. I think that's one of the biggest things that, that basically for me that came out of that period yeah. is purely just conversations that people had and relationships that the industry where it was quite divided I think yeah. it did come together for the first time which is fantastic so I'm just going to finish on a couple of things so if we had um say there's a, a young person here that's listening to this podcast um why do you think they should go into hairdressing 
Great question. God, you got me. Look, the, the <laughs> best thing is we are the one future-proof industry. Mm -hmm. I had this out with my brother-in-law. I said, you know, you're never going to get robots to cut your hair. He said, no, I'm sorry. He said, if you've got robots driving cars and that's going to happen soon, robots can cut hair. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a difference. If you crash that car, you're surrounded by metal and airbags and so on. You, you're going to walk out. If that robot slips with a razor-sharp blade scissor, you're going to cut your neck open and you're going to die. So actually, we are totally future-proof. If you want an industry that you can travel, if you want an industry that is fresh and renews itself every year, there's always new trends coming. If you want an industry that allows you to develop all those skills, as well as a creative interpersonal, it's just such a brilliant industry. I don't think there's anything like it, really. Yep, I'm 100% with you on that. So for those youngsters that are listening to this or anybody who wants to get into hairdressing education, you've heard it here. Um, now, so what I always like to do when I finish my shows, Edward, is I, I like I call it a bit like the final five. So there's a couple of final things that I'd like to, uh, little questions, you can answer them one word or very short. Um, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? And what's the last thing you do when you go to bed? I kiss my wife. <laughs> nice. Yeah. On both occasions. Both occasions. Beautiful. I Thank love you. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's a favorite piece of advice you've been given and a worst piece of advice you've been given? Okay. Best piece of advice, which comes from my dad's first boss. Um, never ask someone to do something you're not prepared to do yourself. Mm -hmm. Worst piece of advice. Dulwich College is an ideal school for you. <laughs> Love that. I think it's interesting because I think, particularly as a salon owner and, and as, as a business person, I think, um, going back to your first one, you know, setting that example of you doing all of those things, I think as a, that is probably a, a principle that I've always stuck with um, as a, a leader within the business. And I think it, it definitely helps your salon culture. Um, so yeah, that's definitely one of the things. Um, what's one thing you can't live without? My iPhone. How sad am I? I, <laughs> I, I, I? That would be the one thing I'd have to have with me. It's amazing how many people have said that. It's incredible. You yeah. know, yeah. the life, it's the life of your phone. If all else fails, you can do, I can do everything I need to now um, on my phone. Mm -hmm. um, what's a, a rule that you think we should all abide by or a rule that we think we should uh, stick to? Treat people, treat others as you expect to be treated yourself. Generally, I just think it's um, particularly now we've been through horrible times mm -hmm. and I think it's now is the time to be kinder to everyone. You may not agree. You may not. You know, you don't have to agree with everyone, um, but treating others as you wish to be treated yourself. And what would be the biggest thing that you've learned in the last 12 months? I'm a genius, but no one really understands me. <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question. Um, you can do it. Yeah. I, I mean, however you take that, but you can do it. Mm -hmm. I think I'm 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 definitely uh, a big believer in that. I I'm just a believer in believe in yourself and believe it doesn't matter how when somebody says you can't, you can. So there's always that sort of shift. Um, as I think a lot of people will always tell you, they'll always pull you down. Uh, I'm very much like, don't worry about those little crabs. 
rise to the surface and take a big breath, you know? What's the worst that's going to happen? So you make a mistake. It can be corrected. Yeah. I mean, what's going to happen? Exactly. I had this thing. For me, this is one of those that even starting this podcast, um, Rob, who we're working with, he basically was like, look, you know, Nathan, just get started and you can get perfect later. He was like, don't worry about it. You know, it's going to get better. I I think lockdown and and what we did online with Instagram, it's made social media and it's made life a little bit more human. We're all a bit more forgiving. Um, early on in the time we had one of my trainers they couldn't get their little dog out of the room so every two minutes you had this dog bouncing around barking one of my team had his camera phone on lock but upside down so he did a whole barbering session on the ceiling i'm texting his wife saying God, what you've, can you, you've got to do and, and and there was one where one of my team she's working at a slight distance with her camera on zoom the camera's dropped in the stand mm-hmm. and for 20 minutes we're seeing her ankles but you know something, it was human. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's taught us that actually um, you can be human. You know, we all know that it, on social media, you, you actually tell people only what you want them to see. We've always tried to be a little bit more honest about, uh, about what goes on, you know, warts and all. But I think, and again, just following on from that, I think that was probably one of the biggest shifts again in the last 18 months. Yeah. I think people suddenly came out and were actually doing real video which is why people now, obviously in Instagram and things like that, it's all about video now. It's yeah. less about pretty pictures um, and, and actual real moments. Um, where can people find you on socials if they want to look for you? Okay, so um, for our um, school, best to look at us, Alan D. Hare. Mm-hmm. And you'll find everything from there. Um, for my presentation skills workshops and the presenting and hosting stuff that I do, it's Edward Hemmings Presenter. Facebook is Alan D. Hairdressing Education. And don't laugh, TikTok, we're one of the biggest hair things on TikTok. 27 million views, I promise you, is Alan D. Hair as well. Brilliant. That's amazing. It has been absolutely amazing chatting to you today, Edward. Um, Hopefully, uh, I can see that there's going to be some partnerships that are going to be growing over the UK with you. Um, It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to chatting to you again very soon. Take care. Great stuff. Thank you so much, Nathan. Have a great day.